Good evening, everybody. Nice to see you here. Uh, there was a headline on the Yahoo News website earlier this week, and it read, Europe facing abyss embraces German might. It was a comment on the staggering situation that is developing today in, the, uh, in, in Europe as those nations witness truly the greatest political upheaval, I think, that uh, has taken place there since the Second World War. In fact, what's happening means nothing less than the national sovereignty and freedom of most of them is going to disappear over the next little while. I say that with confidence. See, the German idea is that European countries should cede control of their national budgets to one central authority. That is what is taking place. That's what's happening. The language and the word abyss, as we just read it from that headline, uh, is connects us straight with the book of Revelation. And you might want to turn to uh, Revelation 17 to see that uh, passage again. Uh, it's translated in the King James Version as bottomless pit, but the word is abyss in the Greek. It occurs in chapter 17, verse 8, which we just read together. And it also appears in chapter 11, verse 7. And again in chapter 20, verses 1 and 3. Now those of you who have got some notes, you can scroll all over them and write these other passages down, so when you get back you can have a look at those too. So in 17, verse 8, in chapter 11, verse 7, and again in chapter 20, and verse, verses 1 and 3. Now the meaning of the word can be seen from concordances and lexicons. We all have access to these tools these days. It's like Strong's Concordance, for example, defines it as meaning depthless, without depth. Little and Scott, unfathomable, boundless. And you can look at others as well. And on the screen here we have a definition that's given to us, uh, bottomless pit, the abyss, the deep, signifies that which is not or has not been fathomed. Hence, in general, boundless, exhaustless, unmeasured. In John's day, the Apostle John's day, who wrote the Apocalypse, lands beyond the Roman world not yet penetrated, way back in history. In Eureka, Brother Thomas writes, the abyss is now the area of Germany from the Rhine and Danube to the Baltic, Bohemia, Poland and the great Russian Empire Norway, Sweden and Denmark so you get the idea of where we're talking about but let's just take back a step and say well why is the apocalypse concerned with Europe why not China, why not some other place well when you come into the New Testament, we find that all the early Gentile ecclesias were established in the areas such as we have them on the, on the map there. They were part of the Roman Empire back in those days. Uh, and the gospel message during the first century went out to all these different places. 
And the emphasis is undoubtedly upon what we today call Europe. These are the ecclesias to whom the revelation was sent. Uh, I'm sure we know the passage, but in case there are some here who are not so familiar, if you turn to the book of Revelation and the first chapter, you'll see how he uh, is instructed to send them to these ecclesias. Uh, Revelation chapter 1 and the 11th verse, it says... I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven ecclesias or churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. So this is where the message went. And one would think it a logical thing to suggest that as the message was sent to these areas it would have to do with those areas and it was given to show things which must shortly come to pass as we read earlier on in that chapter so they were all ecclesias in a Gentile world Paul may in fact have reached Spain if you look at uh, Romans chapter 15 there's the suggestion that he actually did go to Spain so it really was a a European venture as we might might call it in, in that sense it was a world that became Europe. It was the Roman Empire, but it, 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 it became Europe as the various nations emerged. And that was in the first century uh, that it came uh, to that part. Now, this was the territory of Daniel's fourth beast that had ten horns. Many in the room will be very familiar with that. Others may not know it quite so well. So let's just turn back for a moment just to uh, get our bearings, as it were, in Daniel chapter 7, where we read there in verse 23, Daniel chapter 7, verse 23, and the ten horns... Sorry, got the wrong verse. 23. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth. Now that's easy to identify because the kingdoms, as they are uh, explained to us in Daniel chapter 2 and again here, they were the Babylonian Empire, they were the Medes and the Persians, it was the Greeks, and the fourth one then was the Roman Empire. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth, which shall be diverse from all the kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings or sovereign powers if you like that shall arise and another shall rise after them so you're seeing the development of Europe as he goes on to explain it out of this prophecy and so it is that we find that it's spread throughout the the area now Daniel's ten horned beast that we just looked at there, the fourth beast uh, that is given to us in different phases in the book of Revelation. I can't spend too long on this with you this evening, but um, uh, I'm happy to talk about it if anybody would like to do afterwards. But this ten-horned beast, as you can read from the prophecy of Daniel, is to continue, it says, until the Ancient of Days sits. 
Now, without going into the detail of it, that would take us to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Ancient of Days coming. And so this fourth beast, this fourth empire, this fourth kingdom upon the earth then, is going to continue until the Ancient of Days sits. Well, that hasn't happened yet. So we must expect to find it there now. It must be out there. And so what we see in the book of Revelation then is that this ten-horned beast, this fourth empire, this is given to us in different phases. And they are the beasts that you see on the chart there. There's the ten-horned dragon phase. It's ten horns, just the same. It, it, it uh, identifies it for us. Ten-horned dragon phase. That, it, we meet that in Revelation chapter 12. Then the ten-horned beast of the sea phase, which is in the earlier part of Revelation chapter 13. That's the first ten verses. And then it moves to the ten-horned beast of the earth uh, in chapter 13, verse 11 to the end of that chapter. 11 to the to verse 18 in that chapter. And then there's the final phase, uh, which we see here, which is the one that we've been looking at in Revelation chapter 17. But to get the background, I think it just helps us. And the other thing that I wanted to point out is that um, these different phases of the beasts, you can see four of them there on the screen, they're all part of the Daniel's fourth beast, but it's just different phases as it would go through history. So you see how that, if you turn to Revelation chapter 13 a moment uh, in, your, in your Bible, Revelation chapter 13, and at the second verse... says the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard and his feet was like the feet of a bear and his mouth the mouth of a lion and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority so you see what's happening here is this dragon power of which we've read in chapter 12 we haven't read it tonight but it's there in chapter 12 that dragon power is giving his seat or his throne and his authority to this beast of the sea so there's a transfer of power from the one to the other from the dragon to the sea beast if you can follow that well, as you move forward in the book of Revelation, you see that the ten-horned beast of the sea phase, he transfers his power still further. Come to, come to chapter 13, verses 11 and 12. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon, identifying him with the original one. And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed, and so on. So... He exercises all the power of the first beast before him. Do you see that? So he's exercising all the authority of the previous beast. So there's again, there's a transfer of power from the one system to the other system. And this continues until we come to uh, the final system, which uh, uh, we'll be talking about a little later on. So this beast of the earth then that you are introduced to in Revelation chapter 13 and verse 11, you see it comes up out of the earth. 
It comes out of what is called Mittel Europa, that is Middle Europe. That's where it comes from, right? So you, you associate it with the middle or the heartland of, uh, of the European continent, if you like. And this is telling the brothers and sisters of uh, years gone by what they were to expect, things which were going to ha- ha- come to pass, you see. And so it goes on. So we see that the power and authority being passed through history, number one, two, three, until it comes to the final one. So with that background, we can understand uh, the powers that are being referred to here. Now this map shows you uh, the dragon, it shows you the false prophet, this is comes to you in Revelation chapter 16. If you just turn over a page, chapter 16 and verse 13, you'll see those powers referred to there. Um, uh, it's the, the spirits or, or philosophies that are coming out of the mouth of the dragon, the beast and the false prophet. And there they are on the map there. But the one that we want to focus on this evening is the beast which occupies Middle Europe. That is the German abyss as, um, as uh, it was described by Brother Thomas. And you can see the development of this power through history. First, there's the Germanic Empire of the Beast of the Earth, such as we just referred to in chapter 13 and verse 11. That was founded by Charlemagne, the top one on the, on the chart there. That was founded by Charlemagne, and the Austro-Germanic Holy Roman Empire continued until it was broken up by Napoleon. Following that breakup of the Holy Roman Empire, as it was known, as it was called, uh, we come to the next German power to emerge. And this was from 1871 through to 1918. It was called the German Reich. It was the German Empire that was established following Bismarck. And it was an attempt to revive the whole, the old system, to bring back again the Holy Roman Empire, as it was called. It ended up with the First World War. Uh, it didn't work. It didn't work out as they had hoped. And so uh, that had to be abandoned. But it wasn't long before they were working to bring things back together again. And you'll see the next one down, the third one down. Uh, That established the Third Reich, the Third Empire. So the Holy Roman Empire was the first one. The German Empire was the second one. And the Third Reich was the one that we are familiar with uh, when Hitler did his uh, work in the Second World War and that period there. 1933 to 45 and so that brings us to where this this continues of course as as history has gone on since to the European Union which we'll be talking about in in a moment but it stops at Hitler pictures and audio of Charlemagne (laughs) the technology didn't go back that far but we do have this of the period of the Third Reich and what it does friends and particularly young people it brings the reality home to us these things were real 
They happened. They were frightening. But they happened. I was a little tot when the Second World War was raging. There'll be a few others in this room that will remember the blitz and the bombs coming down and the terrible time. Nothing to be sort of happy about at all. War is a terrible thing. Dreadful. And we hate to think of future wars that might still be there. So the Third Reich, the Third Empire, was another phase of the beast of the earth which ascended out of the abyss, or the bottomless pit as it's called. And uh, again, the reality comes to us. recognize the tune I think a Christadelphian way back with a wry smile decided he would reword it and so the words were Zion's king shall reign victorious and that's that is what happened of course uh, to that particular national anthem at that particular time but it was the intention of that empire to recreate and this map uh, which is here uh, shows you uh, the plans that they had and uh, uh, the, the title under the, um, under the map is Das New Europa which means the new Europe that's what he was looking for to establish and uh, it was a Nazi attempt to unite Europe. It was the German dream to unite Europe under the German domination. And so that was the situation at that particular time. Uh, as many of you know, I have also all sorts of bits and pieces at home uh, which tell us about this. And these publications come from the time of the Second World War, such as this one on the screen now. I'm just going to read a section of it, which is taken from that uh, book. And what it says is, talking about Germany's black record, it says, The war of 1914 was no more an accident than the war of 1939, or the war of 1870, or the war of 1866, or the war of 1864, or the wars of Frederick the Great, or the wars of Barbarossa, the wars of Charlemagne, or the wars of Caesar's annual warmongers. All Germany's wars have been most carefully and deliberately prepared, it says. 
That was a publication that came out during the Second World War, 1941 is the date uh, in, in, in the booklet. And we may say, well, that was just propaganda at the time. It may well be. But you also have to stop and ask yourself, was there an element of truth in it? Was that what happened? Well, the Second World War came to an end, thankfully. And um, Europe was divided as a result. It was communist Europe and Western Europe, as we called it. And that was the map of Europe after the war, and it continued until 1989, when some tremendous events happened. And in 1990, there was a reunited Germany uh, that came. And the magazines at the time, you're, you're looking at Type magazine here, but particularly this one closest to me, where the headline on the front cover was the Germans should the world be worried there's always been that question you see of this power this Germanic power ascending once more what will it do this time some of the newspapers which I'm going to be showing you come from the UK and uh, this particular one is a newspaper, the Daily Mail from 1999 uh, but the headline was Rise of the New Reich. And this is when they reopened the Reichstag in Berlin uh, when, the, uh, um, when the Germans got together again. East and West was united. Uh, just quoting a section from it, it's down the side here. It's as if Berlin's flat and swampy Prussian soil holds a virulent bacillus ready to reinfect the Volk with the disease of German militarism, the desire to dominate all non-Germans, whether by war or by bureaucratic dictatorship of the European Union, it says. That was 1999. Twelve years later, this last October, this is a headline in one of the British papers. Germany warns of war in Europe. The idea is that peace cannot be taken for granted. And the Chancellor of Germany, which is Angela Merkel, uh, she warns that peace cannot be taken for granted and that if the euro fails, she says, it could lead to war in, in Europe. It seems almost impossible when you think about it, brothers and sisters. It's, it, seems like, it seems like a, a, a fiction, but it is no fiction. These people know what they're talking about, and they do see what's happening. Look at this newspaper. That's got a message for you, hasn't it? It might be a little dramatic, you might think, but think about it. And then this talk of, this is 2004, Das New Europa. I think we've heard that before. We heard it on that map I showed you a little while ago. The world has seen it all before. And Angela Merkel looks increasingly like an authoritarian German as she's laying it out. We have to think where this has led to in the past and the possibilities 
or is it the probabilities what's going to happen in the future when you think about it brothers and sisters it is horrific if you lived in a street like this back in the second world war you'd be scared from uh, Newfoundland. We filmed a piece from him. I lived in Manchester, or just outside Manchester, and it was during the war when uh, a couple of nights we were blitzed by the German bombers. They used to fly over Manchester on their way to Liverpool, and they used to pound that continually. But this particular uh, time of two nights, they concentrated upon Manchester. Well, we lived just outside Manchester in an area which was very highly industrialised and of course um, the bomb began to fall and the guns were firing and my father and I, as I recall, we were still at the front door, which we shouldn't really have done in a dangerous position, but we were looking out and the whole horizon was ablaze that hit these uh, storage tanks, oil tanks, and the thing was completely um, lit up and the guns were going the anti-aircraft guns were letting loose and they had a, a battery not far from where we lived and when those go off they, they really made me jump to, to say the least and there was they had this other one that was running along, along the road a, a mobile um, gun that was set up and then have a go at these places it's a frightening thing, it's war and we recall that they when they dropped these bombs on Manchester, the whole area, of course, was, was uh, certainly pounded. And uh, I recall the incident of they hit this railway station, which was ablaze. And they weren't just content with, with hitting this, but after they dropped the bombs, they were swooping down with these bombers and firing at the firemen that were trying to put down the fire. So can you try and catch the tenseness of things and to try and be a conscientious objector with all these things happening around is no easy matter no easy matter so the question of conscientious objection arises in these situations brothers and sisters and we may face it again we don't know the detail but we may face it again when it comes down to the wire, these things will affect Canada and North America just like they did the last time. It may take a little longer to get going over here, but that is the situation. And so we have to 
prepare ourselves mentally for what may be in store before the Lord calls us away. We don't know the hour, but if the euro fails, says Merkel, then Europe fails. And the Times newspaper called this Merkel's call to arms. Not something we relish, not something we want to think about, but that's the language that is being used. And the economic situation, brothers and sisters, is demanding austerity. It is demanding cutbacks. And we have lived in a very, very uh, affluent time. I would say most of my life has been really an affluent time for most people. It hasn't been for me always, but uh, it has been for a lot of people. Uh, we don't know what it's like to go short. We don't know what it's like to have to carry a ration book. And you can't get the things that you want. And we are seeing this happen in Greece. This cartoon on there uh, is really showing you... Uh, Though these conditions are imposed upon Greece and when they are they trigger riots and protest and social unrest if you have an eye on the news you'll see that that's what has happened and if it's happened in Greece it's going to happen in other places as well Europe here looks remarkably like Angela Merkel to my mind uh, or is it the Virgin Mary with the stars around her head I'm not quite sure but uh, there it is uh, it's a situation that is bound to bring trouble when people can't get what they're used to and that's what was said in this newspaper Europe's debt crisis could trigger violent revolution and war warns the French foreign minister so those warnings are very clear aren't they let us not underestimate brothers and sisters what is happening We've got to prepare ourselves mentally for what is taking place. This is the Canadian press, the National Post. Germany on brink of European dominance again. It's recalling the Second World War. All Europe today is being forced into subservience to Germany. Look at this. This is the Irish Daily Mirror. Didn't know I read that, did you? <laughs> uh, the Irish Daily Mirror. Germany is our new master. Daily Mail, Greece in meltdown. And you can go on to talk about Spain, Portugal, Italy. You see, all Europe is getting involved in this. And it's no laughing matter, brothers and sisters. And I want to apologise to you for the next slide, because it's rather grotesque. But it shows a caricature of Angela Merkel riding the European beast. And there she is. Europe speaks German now, is the headline. It shows you the way things are going, doesn't it? The point is quite clear, is it not, brothers and sisters? You know, I have a habit of keeping newspaper cuttings that interest me. And 21 years ago, this Sunday Express 
was on the book on the on the shelves and I bought my copy and I still have the cutting out of it today. And this is what Nicholas Ridley said at that particular time. He believes Britain is threatened by economic domination by the Germans and warns that unless we act now, we will end up as the poor man of Europe, driven into a 30s-style recession. Some of these people certainly have some insight, because that is exactly where it is going. That was the newspaper, and I kept it because... Brothers and sisters, I understood Bible prophecy. I knew it would become relevant and that one day I could use that cutting in a situation such as this one tonight. And so there it is. I have said many times, and many of you will have heard me say it, that Britain will have to separate herself from Europe. But at what cost? There is to be a terrific shake-up, brothers and sisters. You have to understand the situation and these funny people that live on an island in the Atlantic Ocean called Great Britain. This is the president of France. And newspaper isn't very kind to him, but the reason I put it up is to show you the, the, the underlying hostility that exists between Britain and the continent. The French president dismisses the English, saying, you don't understand Europe because you come from an island. I think there's an element of truth in that. I think that that's probably the case. The French don't understand the British, and the British don't understand the French. And that's, uh, that's something that you get. I'm not talking about Canada now. I'm talking about Europe, right? There is an underlying hostility then between them there, and it's based upon cultural and religious differences that are very deep-seated. You might not think these countries today are religious, but when you really get down to it, it's ingrained into their character. You can't get away from the fact that Britain, for 400 years, we've just been remembering the 400 years of the King James Version, you can't get away from the fact that Britain has been a Protestant nation. And that has kept her apart from and separate from the nations on the continent. And um, it affects their character. This was the Daily Mail. And uh, quite a headline, isn't it? The writer is suggesting, speculating, that by 2018, Europe will be at war. Maybe he's right, maybe he's wrong. That's not the point. The point is that that is how some of these people are seeing it. The headline says he's a historian. German troops storm Greece. Putin's tanks crush Latvia. France humbles the British army. Unlikely? Yes. But, as Merkel says, Euro meltdown could spark war. And a historian lets his imagination run riot. Europe at War, 2018. Interesting how they involve Russia in that. And there are reasons for that. So this is another factor to consider. 
Russia. If the euro fails, and they are right now in the midst of a summit meeting between all the European countries, and Britain is attending it as well, if the euro fails, all Europe will be convulsed. It's the only way I can put it. Put it. Russia could move in to impose stability and security. And that brings you to Ezekiel chapter 38. That's the direction that things are going, brothers and sisters. It is, as we sung in our opening hymn, Lord, thy judgments now are waking. Let not thy compassion sleep. And while earthly thrones are shaking, sure and firm, thy purpose keep. And that is our prayer, because we want to be part of that purpose. And so the newspaper headlines continue. Is Germany trying to succeed where it failed in two world wars, says this newspaper from 1999? Is Europe facing conquest by peaceful means? The language being used by Germany about the need for a strong united Europe runs through the whole of the last 100 years. Germany has not surrendered its ambition to dominate Europe. It is merely using another means to the same end. That's not me speaking. That's a newspaper speaking, a British newspaper. And up to now, the consolidation of Europe has been advanced through treaties. You had the, the original Rome Treaty, of course. You had the Maastricht Treaty. You had the Lisbon Treaty. So the subjugation of Europe is now being achieved through economic means. That's the way it's going now. Now that <coughs> takes us back to 1929. Because in 1929, there was a concordance signed between Mussolini of Russia and the Vatican. There's Mussolini actually signing the document there in that photograph. The concordat was between the Holy See, as they call it, the Vatican, and, uh, and um, Italy. The first section of the treaty, labelled the Concordat, provided the Vatican with complete jurisdiction over all Catholic organisations in Italy. Second, the second section, entitled the Lateran, the Lateran Pact, established Vatican City as a sovereign state. Thirdly, <coughs> the final section of the agreement called the Financial Convention, provided a payment of $90 million in cash, which is worth a lot more in those days, and government bonds and an undisclosed sum for the Pope's privy purse as restitution for the former papal principalities. The Italian government also agreed to pay the salaries of all parish priests in the country. With one stroke of the pen, the Vatican went from rags to riches, and gained a privileged position at the tables of international money markets. That was 1929. So the Vatican became involved in building an economic power base. This set a pattern for Vatican ambitions, which has been followed in one way and another ever since. It set the Vatican on a collision course with the so-called capitalist world. And I hope I can make this understandable to you in the short time.
time that we have. But just going back a section, the posters here are from Nazi Germany. The Nazis championed the concept of National Socialism. That's what they called it, National Socialism. And that was state ownership of all wealth. So you did as an individual didn't own anything. It was it all belonged to the state. This was and is opposed to the concept of private ownership that we are used to, as in capitalist societies such as Britain, the United States, Canada, and, and so on. So in this situation, for the National Socialists, you see that the the bankers and the institutions of wealth they become the enemy and that's why today you are seeing protests against Wall Street and other financial centres if you read your newspapers or look at the news you'll see uh, protests going on uh, about Wall Street and you, in London it's the same thing in, in the situation that's there the financial centres there and so that becomes the enemy and you know that the present trouble all seems to be about the euro and, and, and that sort of thing. That's where it's at. Let me point something out. For the last hundred years, the most electorally successful parties in continental Europe have, however, had Catholic social teaching at their heart. That's the Times newspaper, October the 22nd, 1996. Catholic social doctrine, or teaching, is opposed to the capitalist society. They want control of the world's economy. And this just staggers me, brothers and sisters, when I, when I look at these things. Europe is all about Catholic social teaching and its control of the economy. And this is at the root of the Euro crisis today. The Vatican is wanting to control everything, and she is seeking to do it through Germany. We are looking at an evil system, brothers and sisters, both doctrinally, politically, and morally. Read the newspapers. It stands out. It's all there. And we are the people who know this because we have been informed through the apocalypse that the Lord Jesus Christ has sent. <coughs> and so the woman rides the beast or controls it. The woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. We have to understand this. Most people don't understand it. They don't get it. Most people feel uncomfortable about pointing out that a religion is behind this and that that religion is the Catholic Church. But brothers and sisters, there is no doubt about it and I'm going to prove it to you. This is the papal encyclical that calls for a global authority for economy. It was published uh, in 2009, and it's Pope Benedict's uh, encyclical entitled Charity in Truth. The Reuters report on July the 5th said this, Pope 
Benedict called on Tuesday for a world political authority to manage the global economy for more, for, for more government regulation of national economies. Benedict said, quoting, there is an urgent need of a true world political authority whose task would be to manage the global economy. In several sections of the encyclical, Benedict made it clear he had great reservations about a totally free market. Freedom is being pushed out. And this is exactly what is being called for now by Germany is an economic authority to rule over all Europe. And when they've got it all over Europe, they would want to expand elsewhere. Today we are seeing the Vatican of Benedict becoming the controlling power of Germany, Europe, and the ten-horned beast of Revelation chapter 17. Let's understand our times, brothers and sisters. We might feel uncomfortable about it, we might not like it, but the facts are the facts, and there's the encyclical. You could get hold of a copy and you could read it for yourself. As people have turned their back on the Bible and rejected it, choosing instead evolution, humanism, godlessness, as a result of that, judgment becomes inevitable. Lord, thy judgments now are waking. And when you look at the situation, you can see why. And we shouldn't be frightened to point it out, brothers and sisters. We are the witnesses of Jesus Christ. We are the ones who know. Other people don't know. The good news is that this system will not last forever. In Revelation chapter 18, following on from where we are in 17, it tells us the system is ultimately doomed. Alas, alas, that great city. Let's put it on the screen. Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. Where did she get all her riches from? For in one hour so great riches is come to naught. And every shipmaster and all the company and ships and sailors, as many as trade by sea, stood afar off and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like unto this great city? It will take just one hour. Yes, we're talking in symbolic time, of course, as we are in Revelation 17, chapter, uh, verses 12 and 13 too. But in one hour, in a short period of time, such great riches that they've accumulated will come to nothing. And the ten horns which you saw are ten kings, sovereign powers, which have no, received no kingdom as yet, but receive power, authority as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. Brothers and sisters, this is the last hour. I'm not saying that it has already commenced exactly, but I am saying that this is the period that we now face. And we need to prepare ourselves for it. We need to prepare our young people for it. And we need to instruct ourselves in these things so that we know where we are. 
we must prepare with everything that we can in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 3 we read this remember therefore how you have received and heard and hold fast and repent we the Christadelphians have heard and received in a certain manner we really do owe our position today to those brethren who went before and who brought the truth to us but he goes on to say if therefore thou shalt not watch I will come on thee as a thief and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee I was asked fairly recently why do we need to know all this why do we need to know these things and I'm going to leave the last words on this with brother John Thomas he wrote in Elpis Israel as follows we may conclude that as the Lord has both our, sorry we may conclude that as the Lord has both our duty and privilege to make ourselves acquainted with it that our faith may grow and be strengthened that our affections be detached from the fleeting present and set more firmly on things to come that our minds may be fortified against error and that we may be prepared to meet the Lord as those who have kept their garments and shall not be put to shame it is our own fault if we are not light in the Lord he has plainly set before us what is happening in our day and what is yet to come so what he's saying brothers and sisters is that we have no excuse what we have to do is instruct ourselves to teach ourselves to teach one another about these things don't let's forget the heritage that has been given to us by those who went before very important brothers and sisters that we hang on to that hold fast till I come as some more words of the Lord Jesus and I hope that as we see what's happening and we see the relevance of it that we will be stirred up to instruct ourselves and our ecclesias in these things and that we will be motivated ourselves and stirred up to draw closer together not separating further apart but drawing closer together because the time is coming my dear brothers and sisters when we are going to need one another like we have not done for many many years there is a degree of cooperation takes place in time of war because it's necessary it's happened in the past and it can happen again and my prayer to God is that these troubles as they come may draw us closer together as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ which is what we truly are thank you very much